call Finney the happy pastor. He's got this famous saying, I'm growing up to be a child. I love this man of God. Let's all stand together because it's a great honor to have him in the house this morning. Mr. Finney, Dirk Gini, bless you. Thanks, Gideon. We love you guys. Thank you. Be seated. It's great to have be here this morning again. And every year that we come to Harmony, it's, it's a great joy. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's fun. And every year we get to meet more people because it's a growing church. And isn't it good to be part of something that's growing? Healthy things grow. Everything that's healthy grows. You look, look out a couple of weeks and you think, oh, that tree's grown or that shrub has grown. It's healthy. And uh, if you have good children, they grow. <laughs> they just seem to grow up. And uh, we, we are the parents of six um, children. And we've been married for 35 years. Come on. Come on. We also became grandparents in January. And they, they say that grandparents is a gift for people who haven't killed their children. And uh, we are just the most happy delighted grandparents you can be and uh, we love it when little Milo comes over to to stay and play and be with us and uh, I just was very touched this morning when who uh, got up and shared the prophetic guy about the sexuality seminar Cyrus Cyrus I think King Cyrus and um, you know the thing about healing is that everything Jesus did when he came and walked on the earth and everything he brought to us was about healing. It was healing our relationship with the Father first, bringing us back to know him and bringing acceptance and bringing, you know, up till Jesus coming, no one knew what the Father was like. They saw the law, they saw the fire, they saw the, the brimstone, they saw the judgments of God, but they never knew that God could be as nice and as kind as Jesus turned out to be. And Jesus kept having to remind them and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when a woman in adultery was, was brought to, to Jesus, I always wonder why the man wasn't brought as well, because last time I checked, it takes two. Amen? But in that day and some t even today, women seem to be the most shamed in those areas. And she was brought to Jesus and he didn't say a lot. Didn't have a lot to say. Didn't say, so what were you thinking? What were you doing? Why? How could you have done that? He didn't bring any shame to her. He covered her shame, covered her nakedness. And he said, well, to those of you that want to throw stones, any of you that are without sin, you cast the first one. <laughs> Isn't that a cool line? Don't you want to just have that line for the rest of your life? In other words, distance not throw stones at anybody because none of us are without sin. <laughs> Don't throw stones at churches, people, families, neighbors. Amen. Because none of us are without sin. None of us. Not a single one of us. <laughs> Even the most holy looking of you are not without sin. Anyway, she got completely healed that day. And I, I, I love the fact that she didn't even ask for forgiveness. Jesus forgave her. And she never asked for it. Ooh. <laughs> she didn't even have a chance to repent. She was just humiliated by everybody there. And he just completely addressed that and brought her into wholeness. And so I want to say today, wholeness is God's intention for us. 
And all, all of us are on a journey of wholeness. The Bible says that we go from strength to strength and glory to glory. And that's in your marriage, that's in your walk with God, it's in your careers, it's in your relationships with each other. We're always learning how to do things better. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. We're never too old to grow and learn. We never come to a worship service and think, I've done that, seen that before. We never want to become cynical and become know-it-alls. Amen? And I love the fact that vulnerability is always the, the path to healing. That's always the path to healing. If you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. I love that from James 5. And one of the highlights of, of our year, for me, this year, I'll just talk about me, because I got the microphone, <laughs> is that, you know, been married for 35 years, there's some amazing years and there's some tough years. There's, we've had some really incredible times and some incredibly difficult times through life circumstances, through our own, my own, you know, faults and failings. I know that look, looks, you look at me surprised. But I remember getting to a point in January where I thought, we're, we're arguing about the same things too often. And I had the name of a counselor, so I, I um, had been recommended. So I, I gave her a ring and I said, hey, can we see you? My wife and, you, and I, we, we, wanted, we need some counsel. We need some help. And we've seen her 10 times, I think, this year. Probably every second or third week. And it's an incredible amount of healing that's come. Mostly because of the years that I worked too hard and I neglected my wife, the wife of my youth. And in my case, it's easy for me to make excuses and say, well, God was calling us to go to those 23 countries that we hopped in and out of and often left you for three weeks at a time when I was ministering in Mongolia and ministering in India and doing the work of the Lord. But you see, it doesn't matter what your excuses are. If the garden's not looking good, it's because it's been neglected. You can't blame someone else for the condition of your garden. Amen? I'm responsible for my garden. I'm responsible for my heart. I'm responsible for my generosity. I'm responsible for my vulnerability. And I'll never blame my condition on anybody else. Not on my family, not on the Lord, and not even on the devil. Because the devil's not more powerful than the God inside of me. I'm much more powerful than him. <laughs> There's a revelation right there. Write that down. No one is in charge of my life. Everyone, every one of you made a decision this morning to come to church and worship and seek the Lord. You had the power to do that and no one could stop you. And you have the power in your life to bring healing. You have the power in your life to make a shift, make a change, become generous, become a forgiving person, become a loving person. You just have that power. You, you switch it on like Johnny has given up smoking. That's a decision he made. It wasn't easy. But he has the power to make the decision. He's in charge of, of his life. I'm in charge of my life. No one else is in charge of my life. So I blame no one for my condition. So I had the power to make a phone call and say, can we come for some help? We're, we're, having, we're struggling to navigate through some of the pain of our history. And God loves that. God loves the transparency. I'm not ashamed to say that I've failed as a, as a father and as a husband. The shame is if I don't want to address it and change. I'm 50, 55, turning 56 in a couple of weeks. 
And I think we're in the best place that we've been in our lives. But it took a decision to get some help to come to that place of, of healing. If you want healing, it's just available. Physical healing's available. Emotional healing's available. Sexual healing's available. Aren't you glad that, he, that healing's available? You see, Jesus said that we just approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find help in your time of need. And he looked at the earth and he saw there was a needy people. People are needy. And it's not a negative, not negative to say, I'm needy, because I'm needy. I was needy. I looked for help. And I found it. And the grace of God that he has for each of us today is more than you can possibly fathom. His love is so high and so wide and so deep and so long that you'll never find the depth, the, the end of it. His river is so wide, you'll never plummet the depths of it. If you keep looking and keep seeking and keep knocking, that door will open, that breakthrough will come, that healing will spring up. Just don't stop knocking. Don't stop looking. Don't stop making good, just good choices because those are the choices that, that determine your future. God can turn like that. Today, some of your destinies are being changed because you're hearing this word and your spirit is responding to what I'm saying and you're thinking, I can do that. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you hear a testimony of breakthrough, like Cyrus testified about breakthrough, that immediately becomes a prophecy in your ears and you, you think, I can do that. When a father and a husband like me is vulnerable about my failings, then those of you who need healing in your marriages, you can think, I can do that. Just like that. And just by agreeing, you're already on the way to being healed. <laughs> Amen. It's that easy. And I call it leaning into God because God is the one who initiates this love affair that he has with his church. It says that he, we didn't first love him, but that he first loved us. And he's the, the mountie that, that searches and looks for his man. He's the, 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 the hound of heaven. He's the one who's searching for us. He looks for us. And we respond. It says, he stands at the door of our hearts and knocks. If anyone hears the, the, the knocking and opens the door, he'll come in. He looks for us. And then we look for him. And it's this beautiful game where he's not hiding from us. He's hiding things for us. And everything that he has for us is good. His throne is a throne of grace because everything he has for us is good. Say everything he has for me is good. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. And I didn't always know that God was good. I grew up in a church where God was very exacting, where God was distant. God was a lot of rules. God was regulations. We used to argue in the car all the way to church and have one hour of peace and then argue all the way home. It was that kind of relationship. It wasn't a relationship. It was a fear. It was doing religious duties that kept me going to church. And then, and then Jesus met me. And I met Jesus. And he completely changed my life. Completely. And that was 40 years ago. <laughs> Come on. And I haven't stopped loving him. I haven't stopped seeking him. Every time I come into worship, I'm saying, Lord, what, what nuance do you have to share with me today? What have you got for me? What have I got for you? Because I want to talk about prophetic worship this morning.
And prophetic worship is just worship that connects you with God. It's not a style. It isn't a genre. It isn't a a style of worship. It isn't like we do prophetic worship at our church. Well, you can have prophetic worship in a church, but you're not the one being prophetic. (laughs) Prophetic is not something you observe. Prophetic is something that you immerse in. Prophetic worship is intimate worship. It's worship that moves you. Someone asked you this morning, what moves you? What moves your heart to worship? What connects you with God? What is the language that, the love language that God has that helps you to connect with Him? Because that's prophetic worship for you. I want to connect you this morning with God. I want to connect you with music and with the song of the Lord. I want to connect you not with a, someone else's sound and someone else's uh, genre. I want to connect you with the heart of God. Is that good? Is that legal? Because that's, if I can connect you with God, then I've accomplished what I came to do this morning. And, and if I look at the two major pictures of worship in the Bible, the first picture is the picture of the tabernacle of David. In Acts 15, 16, God says through his word that after this, I will restore, I'll return, I will restore the tabernacle of David that's fallen. And if you look at the tabernacle of David, you want to know what that's about? I'll help you. Thank you for asking that question. I'd love to explain what the David of, tabernacle of David looks like. Because the tabernacle of David was something that David raised up in the, on Mount Zion prophetically thousands of years before the, the new covenant. Long before there, there, was, there was what we would call free worship. There was free worship. Which is why when we look at circumcision, for instance, so we look at things that are in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, when they pass through the cross, they have to change. So the circumcision of the flesh becomes a circumcision of the heart. Sacrifices of animal offerings become sacrifices of praise in the New Covenant. But worship comes through the cross and passes through cleanly. It needs no addition. It doesn't need any embellishment. That's why you only find two references to, to worship and music in the, New, in the New Testament. Paul speaks about twice, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Twice, Colossians and Ephesians. <laughs> why? It didn't need embellishment. This is, a, this is a culture, the Jewish culture, who understood worship. If you mention David's tabernacle, they knew. There's psalms, there's hymns, there's dancing, there's prophetic worship, there's prophecy, there's uh, uh, kind of choirs, there's multi-instruments being played simultaneously. That's what they pictured when someone mentioned David's tabernacle. So I want to take you into that picture this morning because that's where you're going. We had some Davidic worship this morning because that's what God's restoring. But I don't want to know what God's restoring out there. I want to know what, God, what that means to me. Because this is about me and you. It's about my walk with God. It's about your walk with God. It's about bringing you closer into God's love and into God's atmosphere. Are you hearing me? It's about what is my response to God? Because I don't want to worship like the person next to me. I don't want to worry why they're lifting their hands, why they're kneeling down, why they prostrate before the Lord. Because it's none of my business. (laughs) It's none of my business. Someone's at the back with a banner and someone's on their knees. I don't care. Because it's not about their walk with God. It's about my walk with God. You see, when David was restoring 
the presence of God to Israel. And he, you know the story, he brought the Ark of the Covenant, which was the literal manifest presence of God. He was bringing this Ark and they were dancing. Every six steps they stopped, they sacrificed. Six is the, is the, the number of man. So when we come into worship, what's the thing that has to be sacrificed? Man. Your, your culture. Because if your culture is not a Davidic culture, it has to be sacrificed. Lay it down. If you've got a stiff upper lip British kind of background, like my culture, comes from colonialism and some of the influence in New Zealand is the same. If your culture is not Davidic culture, then every six steps, sacrifice it. <laughs> sacrifice it. Kill it. If it's not free, then kill it. Because that's going to hinder you to, to bringing God's presence back into your life. So I remember when I first got saved, the most vulnerable thing was to lift my hands. I remember thinking, as I lifted my hands for the first time, everyone's watching me. I felt like I had two big bunches of bananas on the end of my arms, and everyone's watching me. Of course, nobody was watching me. But there was my self-consciousness, and my sense of, I'm in public, and I'm doing something that I've never done before, because I grew up you know, in the Catholic Church, and, and no one did that there except the priest, and then I realized I am a priest. Come on. Come on. And I'm going to offer sacrifices. The fruit of my lips is a sacrifice. And if it's a sacrifice, it's going to cost something. What does it cost you? It costs you reputation. It costs you your, your, your culture. Laying down your British stiff upper lip, stuck up, holy totem pole culture. I'm going to kill that sucker. Kill it. It doesn't belong in the tabernacle of David. So leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it, and then let the, let the kingdom culture, let the Davidic culture become part of you. And that might be a process. But I want to encourage you, come in to the processes of God. Make yourself vulnerable. If, if self-consciousness is your, is, is your thing, if you, you, like, you don't want people to watch, then go out of your row, Get on your face and make yourself vulnerable. Because I tell you what, getting on your face is, a, is it right in the Bible. You, you can find it a hundred times of people coming into God's presence and getting down on their faces. It's, it's, you can't get lower than that. And then what about dancing? Here David is dancing before the Lord with all his might. He's bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant back. And the, all, it says all of Israel are dancing with him. He's in a linen ephod. He's taken off his kingly robes. He's taken off his, his position, his posture in, in the community. He's taken off his, his whatever people thought of him. He's like, I'm, I'm stripped down to just me. I'm the, I'm the man David. I'm not King David. I'm the man David. I'm worshiping God with all my might. And every man, I want to encourage you in this place, just the way to worship God is with all your might. Whatever that looks like. Whatever your might looks like. Bring it out. I want to see your might. I want to feel your might. If you need to do a haka before the Lord, didn't do that. Amen. A redeemed version if there's something dark in there. I don't know. But just do something because it's, it's bringing your sacrifice to God. And see what happened is that in that particular instance of David doing this, it says that Michal, David's wife, she looked out of a window. Well, number one, what was she doing there? <laughs> you know, it says all of Israel was worshiping the Lord. 
and offering sacrifices and bringing the ark back. You would have thought that the wife would be right there next to him, taking off her princess gear. Come on. And they should have been leaping and dancing because we know that Miriam did that in the desert. I mean, dancing was part of their culture. So what was she doing at home? You know, watching the days of our lives and, and criticizing her husband. You see, and then it says she became barren. That's what the scripture says because she, she was critical. That's why I'm saying to you, own your worship. Own your condition. Own your, you, you today, you are the product of your obedience to God up to this point. You're the product of that. How you are right now with God is the years of your obedience to Him. That's where you're at. Your obedience to Him. Your response to God. And I'm just saying to you today, come a bit deeper. <laughs> if you're in up to your ankles, go a bit deeper. If you're up to your knees, go a bit deeper. If you're up to your chest, go a bit deeper. Let it all go. Because what we're doing is that's what maturity is. It's growing to God and, and becoming less self-conscious and becoming more God-conscious. Losing yourself in God means losing yourself in God. Making Him Lord means making Him Lord. Magnifying Him is magnifying who He is. And so when He appears before us and He grew, grew, grows large in our lives, then everything else becomes less important. And we don't have the time to criticize other people's worship or other churches. Did anyone say, hear me say that? Other churches, other movements, other organizations. You see, because I'm a healed person. I've been hurt in the church. If you haven't been hurt in the church yet, it can be arranged. <laughs> you just stick around. You see, the weird thing is that everyone's looking for the perfect church. And my dad helped me when I was 18, and I, I joined Rob Rufus's church. I was maybe even 17 when I joined his church. And he's like, Finney, have you found the perfect church? I said, it's perfect. He said, what's the worship like? I said, the worship's amazing. I'm the worship leader. Uh, <laughs> what's the preaching like? Rob Rufus is an amazing preacher in the whole world. I mean, he's like, every, you know, there's signs, there's wonders, there's miracles, there's healings. He said, well, then don't join it, because you'll spoil it. That was my dad. And I did join it. And I didn't spoil it because I, I went with my eyes open. I wasn't expecting a perfect church. You see, because we often look like the church as though the church is something different from us. As though the church I go to is not the church that is actually me. People say, there's no love in this church. Well, aren't you in that church? <laughs> there's no this in this church. There's no that in that church. I'm like, well, aren't you in it? Why don't you just do the thing that's missing? If you see something missing, just do it. Be it. <laughs> come on it's like we should be thinking this church is so hospitable because I'm hospitable this church is full of love I am the most loving person I know this is a generous church because I'm generous I'm here this church has prophetic worship because I'm a prophetic worshiper this church reaches the poor because I love the poor you hear what I'm saying just the, the church that we want to the, the church that we dream of is the church that's inside of us and it'll be imperfect until Jesus comes. It says, Jesus said, there's spots and wrinkles and blemishes. And I'm a church leader. And I know there's spots and wrinkles in our church. Amen. There's spots and wrinkles in this church. But Jesus is ministering to those spots and wrinkles through the washing of the water of the word. He's washing us. He's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 
I'm going to give up being critical. That's not good. <laughs> I don't want to be barren. And so we love the whole church in Australia. We love the church. We, we bless the church. When Hillsong goes through a difficult time or they criticize in the media, we'll spend a whole night of our harp and bowl meeting midweek blessing Hillsong. Now, we're not a Hillsong church. We don't actually go with that style of worship. But is it effective? It's extremely effective. Is it touching people's lives? It's touching thousands of lives, millions of lives. Come on. And so we honor who God honors. The Catholics live across the road. They're, they're across the road from us. We love them. We honor them. Come on. We don't criticize them and say, well, they, that could be the Antichrist, you know. The Pope is the Antichrist. Shut up. What do you know? What do we know? It isn't our business to judge the church. It isn't our business to correct the church. God, we don't want to be chiropractors. We don't want to be looking for faults. Because if you look for faults, you'll find them. You, you spend five minutes in this church, you'll find a fault. You'll find someone who's not doing their job properly or someone who you know, hasn't done what they did. But if you don't look for it, if you don't mind, you'll just bless everyone who comes across your path. You, you'll serve them, you'll love them, and you will grow because of that. So David danced before the Lord with all his might and he brought this incredible ark of the covenant back into to Israel. And there was this rejoicing, there was celebration. There was 40 years of prophetic worship in Israel. And I want to say to you, that's what God's got for this church. 40 years of prophetic worship. Didn't, it didn't dim, it didn't kind of have a peak and then just kind of faded off because God's got new songs. I don't know you, how many of you were here on Friday evening. We went into some amazing prophetic songs. We sang jazz, we sang blues, we sang different genres, we danced, we wept, we laughed, we had healing. You see, that's the picture of heaven. The heaven, that's the other picture. There's David worship and there's heavenly worship. Heavenly worship is coming to earth. And heavenly worship is very swirly. Heavenly worship is, is, is angelic. Heavenly worship is something that captivates us. It captures our hearts. It pulls us up into the realms, into heavenly realms. Heavenly worship has a heavenly sound. And it sounds like us. Angels, when they sing, it's thousands upon thousands of angels singing in, in one accord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Holy is the Lord. You see, they sing together. They sing in unison. And we see right through the scriptures when they're saying in unison, the Lord said his glory among them. And there was this amazing atmosphere of worship. Can you come play, Izzy? There was an at amazing atmosphere of, of worship taking place. You see, when you understand that your contribution to this worship is not as a spectator, but as a contributor, that your contribution to worship is not insignificant, the Lord says to you this morning, for your face is lovely and your voice is sweet. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You see, God loves our worship. He doesn't look at our worship and think, well, I could be better. Or like my son, my 12-year-old will say, could have done better. He's got this little Asian thing happening. Could have done better. But God's not like that. He loves your worship. He loves your vulnerability. He loves your song. And so there's psalms and there's hymns and there's spiritual songs. So we're going to do some spiritual songs now before we... What is the time? Because it was at 11.45 and it's gone back to 11.37. I love it. Did we just... Did, did time just stand still? All right, I've got it. <laughs> so what God does is, is he, 
He takes my worship and it it says, sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It doesn't mean that you've got to face each other in the worship. Aren't you glad about that? And sing, for we love you with the love of the Lord. Done that. That took us straight back into the 70s right there. (laughs) Some of you are nodding. Have we done that? Yeah, we'll hold hands. No, it just means that your song joined with someone else's song makes a harmony that sounds like the angels and that we come into one accord. You see, you can be a thermometer. You can come into a place and think, yeah, this, this worship's cool. It's not bad. Or you can be a thermostat. A thermostat determines temperature. A thermostat determines level of glory and level of joy. A thermostat does not look from a distance. A thermostat sets things to change. And we think sometimes it'll be dance. Sometimes it'll be prostrate. Sometimes it'll be kneeling. The the wind of God says the Spirit blows where it wins. We don't determine how the wind blows. But we're called to capture the wind of the Spirit. Every one of us designed with a voice. The voice of the Lord sounds like your voice. You say, Finney, I can't sing in tune. Then make a joyful noise. Come on. Come on. You don't have to sing in tune. You don't have to to sing amazing melodies to impress God. God loves your heart. It says, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. He he hears your heart song. I'm looking this morning for your heart song. (laughs) I'm looking for the song that moves you and moves God. And then when God touches your heart, we get moved. And I sing, I hear you singing just next to me. I hear your song and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? And then I harmonize with your song. And then together we make an amazing song that sounds like heaven. That's what God's got for you this morning. That's what God's got for you for the rest next 40 years. He's got songs on songs on songs after songs. He's got rhythms that you haven't yet discovered. He's got dances you haven't yet danced. He's got paintings you haven't yet painted. God is the most creative person in the universe. Come on. The first thing was, He did was create. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, He made us in His image and likeness. Every one of you are creative. You're probably more creative until the age of five than you are right now because all of that creativity gets stumped down by our culture and by our you know, religious traditions. And then God brings us back into our childhood. And He says, now, have a happy childhood. <laughs> Sing a song. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. So we're going to sing some new songs this morning. And there's, there's, there's spiritual songs can be prophetic songs. Prophetic songs can be from heaven to earth. And we've sung, heard a few of Izzy's prophetic songs this weekend. Those of you who were here on Friday evenings particularly. Where God sings over us and we listen. We receive that. And then there are new songs. The Bible says time and time again, and they're saying a new song. What's a new song? It's not an old song. <laughs> it's just not someone we've sung before. And we sang some of those this morning. Just lines and phrases that we pick up in the Spirit. He, he is high and lifted up. We haven't sung that, that way or that particular musical notes. We've never sung that before this morning. We sang it for the first time that, I've, that I can remember in that particular phrase. And we won't sing it again. We don't need to. It just appeared like a flower up in the mountains that brings beauty to God and beauty to nature and then it's gone and we don't have to record it and sing it again 
it just appears. And God's got songs for you like that. Because every time you sing, every time you declare the, the, the wonders of God, you're, you're changing yourself and you're changing the people around you because you're shifting the atmosphere. You're, you're speaking the wonders of God over your own body. You see, your body needs to hear your voice. That's why worship is not soaking. Soaking is soaking. Where you're just passive and you just soak in someone else's worship. But it's not your worship. <laughs> your worship is when you lift your voice. Your worship is when you lift something of your sound to God and you realize this sound is valuable. This sound is wonderful. This sound is beautiful. This sound is gonna shift and hear my body that needs to be healed or my soul that needs to be healed needs to hear the sound of my voice. Sing a new song and they're singing a new song. So you can sing in tongues. Paul said, I will sing with my, I will speak with my understanding and I will speak with my spirit. And then he says, I will sing with my understanding and I will sing with my spirit. And you can just decide like that. I'm going to sing with my understanding. And I'm going to sing with my spirit. And it just comes like that. Effortless. So we're going to soar together this morning in the spirit. We're going to feel the rhythms of God as they begin to catch us up. And we're going to hear the sounds of heaven. Because heaven's not there. Heaven is here. Heaven is just a breath away. Heaven is just a membrane away. And we can step in and out of heaven through faith. The doorways of, the windows of heaven are open. They're not closed. <laughs> They're opened at the, on, the, on the day when Jesus rose from the dead. Come on. The, the heavens opened over the earth. There's an open heaven. So we're going to sing sing in the spirit now together just let your voice begin to come needs to hear your voice from your heart just let your heart song come out we're going to hear the angels sing this morning because they're going to sing through you come on
is filled with his glory and the whole earth is filled And the whole earth is filled with His glory. If just where you are, if you just bow your heads for a minute, no one looking around. The most beautiful thing the Lord ever restores to us is relationship with Him and I don't want to take for granted that everyone here this morning knows the Lord and knows His love and knows His forgiveness and knows the wonder of being in His presence. So if today you kind of went over your head because you haven't yet crossed the threshold of knowing God, it would be my honor to lead you to Christ today. The Bible says that He stands the door of our hearts and knocks and if anyone hears the knocking and opens the door he comes in he doesn't push his way in he doesn't barge into our lives he knocks and we open the door because God's put that response into each of us we can say yes to him we have choice and if you hear this morning and you don't know the love of God and the forgiveness of the gospel I would love to pray for you to know Him. So just where you're standing, with no one looking around, if that's you, and you want to say yes to the knocking of God on your heart, just where you are, raise your hand so I can see it, and you can put it down again. Is there anybody here that wants to say yes to God's love this morning? Yes to know Him. Just where you are, just put it up so I can see it, then you can put it down again. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Is there anybody else? Just put your hand up where I I can see it, then you can put it down again. It's just the first step to know Him, just to say yes to His love. God's drawn people this morning in, and He wants us to know Him. He wants us to know Him. Does anybody else want to join this person? Just raise your hand where I can see it and put it down again. Even if there's one, the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven. When one whole party breaks out, I reckon, when just one sinner gets saved, which means there'd be a party nonstop in heaven because every minute of every day around the world, someone's getting saved. Come on. We're going to have a party right now. So let's just pray with this person. Just pray out loud with, with this person this morning. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love today, for your love for me. I hear the knocking on my heart. And I say, come in. Come into my life. Come into my family. Come into my career. Come into every part of my life. I believe in my heart that you've been raised from the dead. And I confess with my lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you for saving me and making me your own. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's have a party because someone got saved. Come on. Come on.